Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for football, hockey, and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 65 65- 1-436-1120 or visit ticketkingonline.com For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings we present Bonus Chatter Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered and uninterrupted This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, and I'm joined by Judd Zolgad of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And tonight we're going to go over the Vikings' 23-20 loss to the Arizona Cardinals. It was a lot better than I think anybody could have anticipated, Judd, when you're talking about a defense that was without every every star at every level uh, and Teddy Bridgewater coming off one of the worst performances of his career mm-hmm. and catapulting it into one of his best just four days later. We'll get to that but first, and then obviously we'll get to a depleted secondary going uh, against Carson Palmer, an MVP candidate, and one of the best offenses in the NFL. But first, we got to get to the call. We got to get to the fact that the Vikings came one play within tying this game and forcing it into overtime. Yes. But with 13 seconds left, a uh, 48-yard field goal in range, the Vikings decide to go for one more play to pick up a few extra yards, despite not having a timeout. Teddy Bridgewater obviously drops back. Tries to throw to the sideline, doesn't get the ball out. It's knocked out when Matt Khalil's beat by Dwight Freeney for a strip sack. It looked like the Denver game all over again mm-hmm. in terms of the ending. In my opinion, it's just an improved version of the Denver game in terms of how they played without without the people they had across the board and with how Teddy played. But it was all undone, 335 passing yards, a career high for the young quarterback. All undone on that last play. Judd, was that the right call in your mind? Uh, well, you know what? It's really, really easy now in hindsight to say. Oh, come on. Give me the hot take. Give me the hot take. So, give me the Twitter hot take. You're going to have a lot of people second guessing the decision because there's a lot of different trains of thoughts actually about this play, including one, uh, that, uh, Mike Zimmer and North Turner didn't use. But one train of thought is on a play like that, you attempt a field goal on third down. So if something goes wrong. So you're saying you not go chance. for that last yeah, one right, and just right. kick but it. There, yeah. there's, there's yeah. an entire train of thought that if you attempt the field goal on third down and something goes wrong, 
that and you don't miss the field goal, but let's say the snap is fumbled or something, that you then can recover the ball and attempt it again on fourth down. Uh, all of that being said, I guess the only thing that would surprise me a little bit is that they were going to attempt, according to Zimmer and Bridgewater, a pass play that was geared to go out of bounds. It just, it see with that little time left, it seemed like a lot for this offense to do. Uh, that also being said, though, I don't think you can sit here and say, man, they screwed up. Uh, I am a little bit surprised given the offensive line, which played better tonight, but given the offensive line struggles and given the fact that you have a quarterback who played much better tonight, but is certainly not a seasoned, to polish veteran, that you did go the route of a pass play with, uh, with what, 13 seconds left 13, when, when yep. the ball was snapped. So I'm mildly surprised. Am I outraged? No, I'm not outraged. And if it works, and then obviously no one is ever second-guessing the call because that's how it works in every sport that's ever been played. Yeah. Now, the thing I thought at first, I didn't, I didn't question the call right away because at, at the time I had thought they had that timeout, but they used it with 44 seconds left. I didn't question it when it was happening. Afterward, when I find out, oh, they didn't have a timeout, then obviously they were really kind of drawing up. When you look at the play, too, it was a longer developing pass play where uh, Bridgewater's out of the shotgun, but at the same time, uh, Kyle Rudolph and Mike Wallace, I believe, are running uh, opposite crossing routes where they do need to get to the entire side of the other field there. So you do need to have protection hold up long enough. Right. And while the offensive line did play much better, only allowing three sacks on Teddy Bridgewater, uh, that was a situation there where you are asking at least your offensive line, only five guys there to hold up against the rush, something they have not done the entire season, mm-hmm. although they did that night. So it's tough for me to sit there and say that Mike Zimmer shouldn't have done what he did. Um, but picking up more yards for a what has been a struggling kicker in Blair Walsh, now he has been doing a lot better the last two months of the season. But you he kicked, s- what, a 54-yarder? It was that same game. You're right. That's so. a good point. A 54-yarder that tonight, the same night, obviously, in Arizona. So that was a situation where I think it raised a lot of eyebrows, and rightfully so. But if it works, no one's second-guessing it, and the reason we are is because it didn't. Well, sure, and I think uh, I, if you want to talk about the fact that the Vikings uh, shot themselves in the foot tonight uh, far beyond the fact that that last play didn't work and that uh, Bridgewater was sacked and lost the ball was uh, the fact that they were driving down the field in the second quarter, down by three, I believe, and Jarius Wright fumbles a ball on what looked like a very effective drive that uh, that very well could have ended up uh, with a touchdown and or, worst case, if Wright holds on to the ball, a field goal. And then the uh, the somewhat odd play uh, with the score, with the Vikings, uh, with the score tied, I should say. It was the first drive out of yeah, halftime. In the third quarter when yep. the Vikings are driving down the field and actually, because they, they did against a, a very highly ranked defense, which in Arizona I didn't think that they certainly defensively had a great game night, but against a very highly ranked defense to open the third quarter, the Vikings are going down the field and they're having plenty of success. And then Norv calls for a reverse with Adrian and Mike Wallace, and that goes awry, and Adrian gets hit and loses the ball. I would say that um, that if I was going to pick on what the Vikings did wrong, I would start with the decision to call a reverse in that situation at all, uh, and then certainly to go back to the, the play where Wright got stripped of the ball. Those come to mind to me as far more egregious mistakes than possibly trying to get one more play 
to uh, either get Walsh into a field goal situation and or try for a touchdown with 13 seconds left. Yeah, and the biggest thing, too, is you're right, the three turnovers, Judd, on offense for a group that looked a lot better. They, they looked It was a far cry from the offense we just watched against the Seattle Seahawks where they lost 38-7. to uh, For them to do what they did and for Teddy Bridgewater to look as comfortable as he did to put them in those positions, and obviously it's just those three turnovers. You mentioned the two fumbles uh, and then obviously the sack strip at the end, so three fumbles overall. Those were the missed opportunities they had. And also, not to mention, Xavier Rhodes dropping an interception that was thrown directly to him on a play where the Cardinals, or a drive where the Cardinals uh, capped it with a field goal to go up 20-10. to So there's three points right there, and possibly a bigger swing should the Vikings score off that would-be interception. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of missed chances tonight. Uh, And you can say they shot themselves in the foot, but nobody was expecting them to be in this game. I don't think anybody was. Without Anthony Barr, Linval Joseph, Harrison Smith, by game's end, they had rotated four different safeties back there at two spots. The defense was a mess and actually played okay. And just in terms of personnel, mixing guys in right. and out there and not having as many mistakes as you would assume. Now, clearly, there were huge, huge gaffes, uh, namely the 65-yard touchdown to John Brown where Captain Munderland loses slips and loses Brown, and then him and Harris take bad angles. Then there was the 42-yarder to Floyd where uh, the Cardinals did something I saw uh, um, that was pretty impressive where you saw them try to take advantage of the young secondary by bunching up their receivers to try Mm -hmm. and confuse them. And so you saw that happen on that 42-yarder to Floyd where Trey Waynes jumps the same route as Munderland, leaving Floyd wide open down the sideline. Then Harris obviously misses that one too, gets trucked by uh, Larry Fitzgerald. So those big pass plays – and then the three turnovers really we're talking about just a handful, probably five plays, uh, obviously, that decided this game mm-hmm. uh, between two offenses that were producing. And it's encouraging. And I think Teddy Bridgewater's day specifically was encouraging for this offense uh, going forward. Well, and, you know, keep in mind, too, that the Vikings now end this four-game stretch, which was a tough four-game stretch, which started with Green Bay, Atlanta, and then uh, the Seahawks and Cardinals at one and three, which is which is discouraging. I think the encouraging thing is you the game against Seattle was such a clunker, and it was awful, and there was an immediate – Oh, my gosh, this offense is a mess. Peterson not happy. Bridgewater awful. This team might not be that good. And and really for the uh, the three or four days after that game, Kramer, it felt like this team was 4-8. Was and eight, not, Exactly. Not 8-4. Yep. Yep. So I don't see tonight as being a good thing. I do see tonight as being that they did hold closer than we thought. And and now with 10 days off until you uh, play host to the Bears, I do think the sky is falling. Narrative goes away. You, you fall a, game, a half game behind the Packers in the division, but you are still um, in the playoff picture. And you now have home games. You have a 10-day break, which is nice, to get guys healthy. And you have home games against Chicago, the Giants, and then have a very good chance possibly to go to Lambeau for the division title on January 3rd. So I think the most encouraging thing about tonight's game is it ends the oh my gosh, this thing's a mess, and Christian Ponder is now the Vikings quarterback, which is how people felt. <laughs> yeah. I, You heard enough people after that Seattle loss saying that Teddy Bridgewater's awful. So I think this just... It's still a loss, but it probably helps to just calm people down a little bit. I think that's a good point, too. And the 10 days are the biggest thing for me when you're looking at the final stretch for this Vikings group. Obviously, they're going to host the Chicago Bears in 10 days. This is a game, to me, where, yes, they allowed 393 yards, but they held them to 23 points, the NFL's number one offense. That, to me, says a lot about Mike Zimmer, in my opinion, on how on a short week he can devise a game plan. And, and yes, the Cardinals were not at the top of their game by any means. They also were coming off a short week. They were also banged up. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, to me, that showed that Mike Zimmer is still capable of taking, basically, 
you know, these these scraps and putting together a group that can still limit and keep a high octane offense out of the end zone. So the coaching shown through for me, if they can now get the pieces back and win two of the last three games or even win out, right. that's going to be a situation where they have still far and beyond overachieved to what anybody was expecting for this team. And so if they can get the 10 days there, you get Linval Joseph back possibly. Anthony Barr has been dealing with a slew of injuries. Uh, and then obviously Harrison Smith. That is going to be something where they're going to benefit from. So you're right. You take the two losses in five days. It looks bad on paper, but that it, you don't want to say moral victory because it's such a cliche. Well, no, but, but, one, but that's what it was but, for this group tonight. As I've been saying, too, if I had come to you in training camp or September and said, hey, look, there's a very good chance on January 3rd the Vikings are going to go to, to Lambeau Field to play for the division title, what do you think? I you'd probably would have laughed. Yeah, you'd yeah. say, no, they're not. You'd yep. say you, the guess at that time, I think, would have been is Aaron Rodgers going to play a quarter or one series <laughs> yeah, because thinking, the Packers will have the division wrapped yep. up by then. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to see this. I just think, I think from the outsider's point of view, what the Cardinals game does is it gives everyone a chance to just take a breath and say, okay, Bridgewater might be okay. I mean, Bridgewater, you got, you got to respect the fact that he came back tonight on a short week after looking like a complete and utter mess on Sunday and passed for what? 335 yards career high. Coming off a career low and, in and Seattle, play, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he didn't play a great game, but he played a very competent game, and that the offense looked functional again. I think, I think that was the scary thing about the uh, the Seahawks loss. The offense didn't look functional, and you do say to yourself, okay, this offense is not going to be high octane, it's not going to score a lot of points, but at least has to look competent. And I thought tonight it looked competent, and that's a that is a step back because the reality for this team is if this team's going to go to the playoffs and win a game this team is going to do it based on defense. It's going to have Linval Joseph back. It's going to have Barr back and Smith back, and it's going to win games based on what their defense does. And then the offense has to sort of pull its weight a little bit, but the offense can't look like crap. And the offense looked like crap against Seattle, and I thought against the Cardinals it looked like it was competent again. Well, well, let's talk about Bridgewater and the offense here because I remember after that Seattle loss, uh, the podcast you and I did was basically asking, are there problems fixable right now on offense? Is this something where they can actually kind of figure out what to do and move forward? Uh, I don't necessarily think Norv Turner did something drastically different. I thought we saw an improved Teddy Bridgewater on Thursday night. We saw some of the similar stuff, the similar schemes, the similar uh, play calls from Norv, um, the screen dump off to Red Ellison, the play action boots. Uh, you saw kind of a wider array of things with Norv Turner and Teddy Bridgewater that he was being successful in. And the biggest thing I saw with Teddy was he looked a lot more comfortable under center, uh, running those kind of play action throws, whereas against Seattle he was doing that same stuff. Uh, but then was throwing into the teeth of the defense, didn't seem to have the vision, wasn't seeing things out there. Uh, Teddy looked to be seeing the entire field tonight. Uh, he was taking the shots that were there. He was throwing to the open guys. He wasn't making bad decisions. Right. He looked to be more of himself. And I think that's something that with a young quarterback you can build off of going forward. And I think while they're not going to systematically just all of a sudden be this great passing offense, if you can have a young quarterback hit his stride a little bit here toward the end of the season, like he did last year, and kind of become more, maybe perhaps become more comfortable with Adrian Peterson and what they're asking him to do, it's only one game, one sample size, but 335 yards against this defense is very impressive and encouraging for specifically Teddy Bridgewater and this passing game. Do you agree? It did look to me like uh, like one thing that they did, especially early on in this game, that they maybe didn't accomplish against uh, the Seahawks was it looked like 
Norv got Teddy a little bit back to what he tried to do against Atlanta and the Packers, which obviously the Packers game didn't work out well in the long run. But it did look like early on he tried to get him comfortable rolling out and hit on, on some quick rhythm passes, which it just seems to me if you can do that, Bridgewater's confidence goes up a bit and he sort of gets in the flow of the game. And, and, that's, and that's what we've talked about before is if you, if you just have Bridgewater try to be the traditional quarterback who hands off to Peterson – it looks like he doesn't get in a rhythm ever, and it looked like tonight like they got him at least in the flow of the game. But the thing is, too, they've done that before. They, you're right. They did right. that against Green Bay where they got him into a rhythm, and then he kind of fell apart. And I think the key thing was that he kind of stayed in that rhythm. They kind of stuck with a similar – but they did take some shots, too, downfield. You saw the big uh, – Oh, yeah. He was a 32-yarder to Michael Pruitt. You saw him kind of loft some passes in there. The key role tonight, too. They did. And which I think, you've been advocating forever. And that was the biggest thing, too, where when, I, uh, when I'm saying Teddy Bridgewater was doing so much better under center, he was finding those bigger targets he was getting out of the pocket he was moving like there was some design bootlegs and there was some stuff where he was just standing in the pocket and delivering it downfield they did some uh mike Zimmer talked about it after the game they did some tweaking with his mechanics uh he's got some elbow stuff going on in terms of when he's dipping it when he throws and and mike zimmer addressed that and they said that was one of the things they wanted to correct with him on but another one was just simply getting the ball out and not being hesitant and that making one read and getting it out and even if it's a tight window trusting your receiver and he trusted his bigger targets you saw him that that 32 yarder to michael Pruitt was somewhat of a contested catch where you just had to trust that your guy was going to go up there and get it right and teddy i think a big problem with him has been being too hesitant and not and not trusting that when you've got single coverage just take the shot because your guy can go up there and make a play well i think teddy struggles with and and this is a, a young quarterback's dilemma is what's a dumb pass and what's a pass where you just have to trust your guy and especially when you're in an offense that is telling you don't make a mistake because right. we need to rely on a defense in the run it, game yep. you know he's got uh, got to make a split decision about okay am i making a dumb pass here that, that's potentially going to get picked off or am i making a pass that is risky but catchable. And I do think that that's where the tight ends come into play here because the tight ends for him become almost, and they should be a safety net, because those guys are much more likely to be able to, if nothing else, break up a play. So, Absolutely. And in yeah. fact, we did see uh, Diggs tonight did that once against uh, Peterson, I believe. There was a play in the second half where Teddy went deep down the field or down the field for Diggs, and Diggs made a very nice play. Diggs realized it wasn't going to be a catchable ball, but he did, he did realize it was an interceptable ball, and so he went up and basically became the pseudo-defender and broke up the pass, and that's what Bridgewater needs. Bridgewater needs his receivers and his tight ends to have his back to a certain degree because he's not always going to make perfect throws, but I do think when he gets in a rhythm of, of finding the tight ends, the tight ends are big enough players to actually go in there and, if nothing else, just break up the play. Yeah, that's a good point, too, about Peterson, uh, Patrick Peterson, who did shadow Stefan Diggs throughout this game. One thing you heard Vikings players talk about with this offense and the lack of production uh, in the passing game specifically was that they weren't adjusting in games properly. They didn't feel like they were reacting to what the defense was doing and taking advantage of it. Right. This is something where they did. Where, where Arizona, they didn't know this, Arizona was going to put their best corner and follow it on Stefan Diggs the entire time so what do they do they go to the tight ends they go to mike wallace they, they do different things and spread the ball around to where they i don't think they targeted stefan Diggs all that much tonight what does it say about the current state of the vikings receiving core and this is not a this is not a denigrating Diggs, but i mean we're still talking about a fifth round draft pick no in, but it is denigrating mike it, it is denigrating no, mike wallace but <laughs> it, it's den, it, but it's denigrating the rest of the of the, the wide receiver yep. core you're right yep. when you take patrick peterson and say okay here's a fifth round pick 
And Diggs is a talented kid, don't get me wrong, but he's not, you know, he came in early on, it was fantastic, and then teams saw, saw that in tape, and like they always do, they adjust and start to shut him down. And tonight the Cardinals just said, Mike Wallace, we're not even going to worry about you. And to his credit, at least he did catch a seven-yard touchdown pass. He did. He had the touchdown pass. So he pass. did have a touchdown He pass. had also, I believe, a 23-yard screen in there. They found uh, 11 different receivers, and that was something where when this offense is is doing it well, and I think – I think we found out a lot about this receiver core, too, throughout this season in terms of, well, maybe Diggs is the only guy that can get consistent separation. We found out Mike Wallace isn't necessarily what they thought they were trading for. Uh, It's still very puzzling to me that a guy like Charles Johnson, he didn't catch a pass. He wasn't targeted, I don't believe, today. Charles Johnson thing, when this season is all said and done, that to me is going to be one of the most interesting things to find out if we ever do. What happened? And I've brought that up too to him before, and wanted to talk to him, and he's always kind of put respectfully, politely, but said, "No, man, I don't. I will say something that I regret." But I legit, <laughs> I legitimately on that one because he got hurt. Yeah. Um, I legitimately don't get that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Patterson, I get. He's just washed out. It's not going to work. Wallace, I sort of get. You watch him; he's what twenty nine, twenty eight or so. Yeah. Yep. Lost a step. I mean, there's. It's. It's not. It might be frustrating that Mike Wallace hasn't done more, Andrew, but it's not shocking i mean you watch him play and you're like oh okay i sort of get it there's a lot of things that make sense they might be disappointing but they make sense the charles johnson thing is one that i there's something behind the scenes there's some, there's an element to that puzzle that we don't have a piece to and that's the that's one of the things to me about this season that really confuses me because bridgewater's chemistry with charles johnson in 2014 was real i mean he, he had chemistry with him. absolutely and charles johnson made that catch against the bears yep in Chicago this year, which was a fantastic game-saving catch. catch. So that's yep. one. That's one thing where I look at that and I say, I don't get what happened there. Something happened there that we don't know. I, I firmly believe it's because Stefan Diggs is a great receiver and because Mike Wallace's contract is keeping him on the field. Yeah, and that's just too bad. Uh, and that's, that's too bad. If that but I, I don't know that for a fact that that's obviously completely speculation. But uh, to get off of that point, they targeted, completed with 11 different targets out there. Teddy Bridgewater spreading the ball around the field. That is the philosophy. That is what they want to do. The one piece they did not have running was Adrian Peterson, who did after he complained about, or not complained, but did at least point out his lack of uh, carries in the Seattle game. He comes out there and is a focal point in the first half, has four carries on the opening drive, 38 yards, juking his way into a touchdown. Look like, wow, this is going to be another big Adrian Peterson game. The Cardinals held him to 31 yards after that opening drive the rest of the game on 19 carries. He was getting bottled up left and right. Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater actually had to shoulder the load, and we've talked about this before. Would he be able to do that? And we're talking about this game like it's a win, specifically just because of how Teddy Bridgewater played. It was a loss. They didn't didn't pull through, obviously. Sure. Um, But the fact that they were able to overcome a stymied running attack, and I think a lot of Bridgewater's success had to do with the fact that the Cardinals – we're selling out so heavily to stop Adrian Peterson. Now, Judd, is this a situation here with Teddy Bridgewater where you believe he can build off of this, at least this season, or was this maybe an anomaly on him playing over his shoes or, or kind of above and beyond what he normally will? I would say realistically that um, that between four days ago against Seattle and this, there is a, a happy medium that needs to be found. Yeah. I, and tonight was an example of, I think, what this offense can do because – Peterson is and should be and will be at least for the rest of 2015 the focal point. And teams are going to stack the box. It's always going to happen. And they're going to try and stop him. And a lot of times they are. A lot of times he's going to lose five yards, four yards, three yards, gain 10 yards. But 
All that being said, you need Bridgewater to be able to pass the ball, right? And you, you don't need him to be able – he's not going to. It'd be nice. He's not going to hit a bunch of 30-yard shots. He's not Roethlisberger. We have to accept that. But what he can do is what he did tonight, which is he can stand in the pocket. He can, he can make passes that aren't dumb passes but involve enough risk but trust his receivers to catch them. I think what we saw tonight – the numbers, the passing yards might not always be there uh, in the last three games, but I think what we saw tonight is an indication of what Bridgewater is capable of doing and what Turner's capable of getting from him, which is just as important in this offense, given that Peterson is always going to be the guys, the guy, I should say, excuse me, the team's focus on. And, and some of this does fall squarely on Norv's shoulders, though, because what Norv has to do is Norv has to put, and, and he can do this, Norv has to put Teddy Bridgewater in the best position to consistently succeed. And that's not asking a bunch of seven-step drops. That's not trying to get guys to run deep routes. But you think he did that tonight? That, yes. And yeah. I and I liked, I liked what they did early on in this game tonight to get Bridgewater in a rhythm and get him some confidence. And to me, that's Bridgewater's a headstrong kid, and I don't think he's a, a mental mess, but I think a second-year quarterback, for the most part, unless you're, unless you're a future Hall of Famer, if things don't go well, you start to question yourself. And, yeah, and yeah. if you don't find a rhythm, you start to question that. And so I think it's really incumbent on Norv to do what he did tonight, which is get Bridgewater into a rhythm, which doesn't mean you don't give the ball to Peterson, but it does mean you play those two off of each other as much as you can. I think what our perception, Kramer, was this. Our perception was, wrongly, okay, what they're going to do is play action to Peterson. Wallace is going to go deep. Teddy's going to take the seven-step drop then. And Kyle Rudolph yeah, is open underneath. Yeah, exactly right. And they're going to take the top off the safeties, and, and Brett Favre can do that. I think what the reality, though, for how Bridgewater and Peterson uh, complement and play off each other in 2015 is what we saw tonight, right? Which is Peterson still gets the ball, but when he doesn't get the ball, you are, you're almost using Bridgewater like a point guard. He, yeah, yeah. He's just distribu- distributing he's to the 10 to 15 yards. You're yeah. not taking a lot of deep shots. It's a, a lot shot. of different misdirections, right. screens, Mister- the kind of stuff they you, did. Yep. You essentially say to, to Teddy, Teddy, right now you are a point guard. And Peterson's our, our star player, but you need to distribute the ball. And I love the fact tonight that when you look at the box score, 11 different guys caught passes. I think that's fantastic. That's what this team needs to do. If they're going to win the division and or make the playoffs, and potentially win a playoff game. Like I said, it comes down to the defense is the most important thing, but what can you get from the offense? Because it can't be what you got against Seattle, which was nothing. Speaking of 11 different guys, that seemed like the amount of people they had starting in the secondary for the Vikings. Um, I want to take, before we end this Purple Podcast, I think it's worth talking about the depth that we saw uh, on Thursday night for this Minnesota Vikings team. Trey Waynes gets his first career start. Uh, he wasn't necessarily tested a bunch, though he did have one busted coverage where, obviously, we mentioned this before, where he jumped uh, toward the wrong receiver and, and was instrumental in giving up that 42-yard touchdown pass to Michael Floyd. One guy, though, that jumped off the screen to me at least a little bit today, Judd, and continues to do so throughout his, uh, in my opinion, an impressive rookie year, sure. is Daniil Hunter. 
Mm-hmm. That third-round defensive end, mm-hmm. uh, he was disruptive again today. I believe he had a sack. He had another run stop on third and one combined with Eric Hendricks to get in there. Uh, he's long. He's the kind of prototype body build that Mike Zimmer likes at defensive end, you know, that kind of Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson frame where you basically got no fat on you. Sure. And he's just a long, lanky guy that can get leverage. I'm seeing the coaching kind of shine through with Daniel Hunter in terms of when he first came here, the, the first word out of everybody's mouth around Winter Park was always a project. Like, this is something where, and you didn't hear this with Scott Crichton, who has been a no-show and, yeah. and a nobody for two years here in Minnesota. Daniel Hunter has really taken that on, and I think he's become an instrumental part in how well a guy like Brian Robison has played because Daniel's one of the main reasons Brian can get off the field now. Last year, Brian couldn't get off the field, right. and that's why he was exposed as much as he was. So out of the guys that kind of stepped up, you saw Edmund Robinson get his first career start for Anthony Barr. Uh, Shree Floyd had a shift in a nose tackle. Uh, they played every defensive back that they had. Uh, Daniel Hunter was the one that kind of shined through for me. And for a defense that is going to be needing another defensive end down the road soon, mm-hmm. I think that's a good sign for them moving forward. What, uh, as far as um, as Joseph Barr and Smith go, which one would you be most long-term concerned about that in 10 days it might potentially be a difficult decision if that player is going to play? Well, without knowing the exact intricacies of each injury, um, I have to question a big man and his foot. Yeah, I, I would a, agree with a that. A big man and his foot, that's a tough one. Because and now, a, hamstr- now have... a hamstring and a defensive back is tough, too. But that's two weeks, right? Yes. So that has been a couple. Well, he did step out second series of that season. Okay, loss. so he's yep. going to have some time. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Barr has the groin and a hand, and the hand he can play with. The groin, the groin, you wonder. Yeah, Joseph concerns me the most simply He's because he's been out two weeks and, and it's has a not foot, practiced. and you don't know what's wrong with it. That's yep. my concern. If yep. if I'm, I mean, is it broken? Is it what you know? What's wrong there? Because and that stuff, as you know too, you know we we joke about foot injuries and turf toe and things like that and those are de- debilitating i mean if Absolutely, you have yeah. if you have a, a turf toe or something like that that is incredibly painful and at that size that's tough to play through so i i would agree with you i would say that my biggest concern for uh, two weeks down or for 10 days down the road against the bears would be linval joseph and obviously i think they're going to be very cautious with these guys just as they have been the past few weeks um these are people that are uh, obviously players that are very key stalwarts in their defense reasons why they made it to eight and three uh before they went on this two-game skid uh, i just think linval joseph is so and you asked me too i remember you asked me on air a couple might, might have been this past week of which one is the most important and i said anthony barr uh, in terms of what they need to do on defense. Yeah, and I still think he absolutely is because the one kind of weakness that this Cardinals offense had, and you saw the Vikings exploited a little bit, was they are susceptible to pressure. They gave up a lot of pressure to Carson Palmer tonight yep. where he had to make some nifty moves in the backfield to get off some throws. Yep. Um, obviously the Vikings fans went nuts uh, when Brian Robinson didn't uh, get called or didn't get that holding penalty on what would have been, I believe, uh, that 65-yard touchdown, right? Yeah. It would have been the 65-yarder where Brian, came back Brian was there. Held on that he was, but what are you going to do? And and the Vikings got got away with a couple tonight too. So they did those things officiating. Those things ordinarily eventually during at some point in the sixteen game season even out even out a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was a. uh, I would. uh, But my point is uh, to finish. It was just that bar is going to be the and they didn't blitz. They haven't blitzed a lot in the past few weeks. And I dug up the numbers and their sack 
per game rate has dropped from like 2.6 to 1.8 with Barr's left hand injured because Zimmer has backed off the blitz. If they can get him fully healthy and back and for the long run, that is going to help their defense a lot immensely, specifically in pressuring quarterbacks, which they did so well at the beginning of the year. Matt Khalil, by the way, got beat on that last, uh, or I, I guess it actually uh, turned out to be second to last play because the uh, the Cardinals took a knee to end the game. But Matt Khalil gets beat, and Matt Khalil, that's too bad because Matt Khalil has actually had a, for as bad as that offensive line's been or suspect, a nice rebound season after a terrible 2014. So. Absolutely, and I didn't, obviously we're not in Arizona, I didn't get to talk to Matt, but seeing seeing the tweets afterwards on his, um, or the comments made by him afterward just seemed to be very matter-of-fact of, yeah, well, I got beat. And that seems to just come that's from him, a, though, right? It seems to come from a guy who that's kind of what he does, um, and that's fine. Uh, I, I think however you react to it, that's fine. You don't um, you don't need to be necessarily you know crying, sobbing. I was going to say, what, are you to be apoplectic and, no. and crawl up, you know, curl up in the fetal position? No, but, but he was flat out beat by a guy in Dwight yeah. Freeney who. I believe should be AARP eligible pretty soon. Freeney's pretty old. Oh, Freeney's really old because didn't he? Buy, I mean, he'd been great with the Colts, and then I think he spent last year in San, San Diego, Diego if I'm not and then they kind of yeah. essentially just let him go for nothing. Yeah, yeah. So that's too bad for him. But uh, he had a good game, completes, and he's had a good season. But it now completes an offensive line that, uh, from the right tackle to the left tackle, is completely suspect. Essentially, everybody but Joe Berger had plays that I can remember that were complete botches. They did. Re- I will give them this. They were really bad against Seattle. I thought they rebounded a little bit tonight. The offensive line, yeah. I agree. I thought they did a lot better, uh, just in terms of as a Which whole. Which is not hard as a show. whole. But they were awful. Against, you, yeah, yeah so. you still have the plays. Mike Harris gets a hold, negates a ten-yard run. Yeah. Brandon Fusco gives up all the pressure in the world, and then obviously Matt Khalil. And we got to talk about Brandon Fusco more when we have more time because I don't get it. That's one I'm well, going to be digging into. Get about the line, though. I've, I've told you that. Well, I know, but I, I just think Fusco doesn't look like the same player, and it's not just the footwork and the pass protection. He's getting bull rushed, like he's oh. getting just flat beat, and he's supposed to be a guy that's a mauler and supposed to really yeah. fight in there and really just kind of active him, though, with his hands. And he, he's just been looking terrible. I told this you, year. I would have, um, I would have moved at some point long ago, and they didn't. First of all, if Fusco's going to struggle that much on the left side, he probably should be on the right side. But that being said, too, then, I think your right guard should be playing right tackle. I think your right tackle shouldn't be starting. Should you just be playing with four linemen? I would have no. I I would have contended <laughs> that I would have contended long ago that you could have gone out and tried to find guards. Yeah, I, no, a guard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the fact that you put Clemmings in the position that you did, I I think that they were. I still think that's a mistake. He's way too up and down and way too inconsistent. And you have a. You don't have a good, but you have a serviceable right tackle playing right guard for you. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You have a left guard who appears to be, from what you tell me, sort of a mess at left guard who was a competent right guard. So there are there are some issues in the offensive line for the Vikings that were uh, far above and beyond their control, and then there's other issues there that I don't get. But you know what? That's enough for me for tonight. I've said my piece. Did you just walk off? Is that I've a said, walk off? I've said my piece for tonight. You didn't drop the mic. Well, I mean, I don't want to talk about it right now, but, I mean, i got to be up to do a show at 9 a.m., and it's 12.30 here in the morning. <laughs> I was going to just keep talking. I was going to filibuster and see how long you would just Actually, sit here. Actually, if, <laughs> if you go much longer, I'm going to call the wife, I think you might just and I'm going to pull a Zimmer. No, i pull a Zimmer. Oh, you would stay at the I'd office? I'd stay here. you just sleep I'd here? break down film. Yeah. <laughs> until Phil gets here, and then I'll just go start the show. But, you know, if you went to McDonald's and didn't get your uh, extra cheeseburger, they probably wouldn't give you 100 free ones. You know what? Actually, that's not true. That would never happen to me. Oh, you would you know get why? the extra? Do you know why? Because you would get out of the car and you would no. go inside. Well, actually, I might do that, but no, it would not happen to me because I am a breakfast all day guy. 
Oh, you might not know that Phil and, I, extra Phil and I muffin. are breakfast all day because McDonald's. You no longer have the cutoff at 10 a.m., Andrew Kramer. You can now go to McDonald's anytime, day or night, and get breakfast, and they'll never short you of an egg McMuffin, especially if it's the egg white one, which is delicious and healthier for you. <laughs> this podcast is not di- sponsored by McDonald's, I di- so I have to hey, say Burger any, King, Wendy's, no, Arby's. Chance, I need no, to no, say no, every other chance chain right I get now. to plug the, fu- my fine, <laughs> the fine folks and my friends at McDonald's. I'm telling you, breakfast all day. And it is, you know, 12.31 a.m. Central Time. I think it's time for breakfast. Folks, thanks for listening to this delirious and uh, sleep-deprived podcast, Purple Podcast After Dark. I'm I'm, I'm just convinced that you're getting dirty money under the table from McDonald's for that. Dirty money from McDonald's? I think you are. That's why you were just totally plugging all this stuff right there. Do you know who Ray Kroc is? I don't. Ray Kroc is the guy that founded McDonald's. And actually used to own the San Diego Padres. And the Padres were once playing so badly that Ray Kroc, and I'm not kidding you, got on the PA system at the ballpark and apologized to the fans for how poorly they were playing. McDonald's has been great in customer service for years now, long before you or I were even born. i got to apologize for how poorly this ending was then in the Purple Podcast because we're just going to go <laughs> cold, black, dark. Please check back to 1500ESPN.com for more. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged or Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.